0: pesa the squirrels nest podcast a gatherer of voices a place to incubate and disseminate critical ideas
1: knowledge uh, moves forward as it as it discovers never something. understand me by just watching watching the photons that are being scattered it was a challenge and it it might be that there is no one application. Well, because someone has
2: taken a decision. Everything and is
1: everything. following very simple technology laws technology of nature.
2: Sometimes the individual who is providing the, the data, it's
0: quite powerless. The research that is not visible because In
1: knowledge is knowledge.
0: cannot make a footnote this long. Like a meteor. This is the Squirrel's Nest podcast, and I am Maria Villa, your editor and host. Our second episode, Monitor Thyself, brings in a multi-layered discussion that seems urgent in media design, research, and in society at large. The boom of technological developments for self-monitoring and to support health, well-being and productivity opens many questions. What are the true implications and effectiveness of these tools? Where are the learning processes involved? Which are the paths designers and companies should follow for a responsible development when dealing with sensitive topics and private data? Our guest today is Laura Ucitalo, graduated from ALTO this year with a master's thesis developing a mobile application to support women victims of intimate partner violence in their recovery process. Joining us in the conversation room is also Laura's thesis advisor, Eva Dural, member of the Learning Environments Research Group in ALDO. Her doctoral dissertation addresses the challenge of supporting autonomous learning and investigates how physiological data tracking may help us enhance our self awareness and deepen our reflection. Welcome uh, (laughs) to the conversation room and the squirrel's nest um, project. Uh, It's great to have you. I have invited you both to talk about the overlaps between the the research each of you do and how they complement and help us uh, go into an interesting topic. Uh, So maybe the first step would be if you could uh, speak about the work you're doing, the research you're doing, just briefly give an overview of what you do. Like in in Eva's uh, uh, case, (laughs) doctoral thesis <laughs> in a nutshell. And uh, yeah, yeah, and also Laura, if you could just speak what, what are the topics you're working with in that research. In my
1: thesis, I was uh, exploring the situation when designing for women experiencing intimate partner violence. I did a design project that I did in cooperation with the local NGO, uh, Linia. Uh, who is uh, supporting women experiencing violence or who are under uh, threat of violence. And um, I did my research with a user-centric approach and my aim was to understand the situation of, uh, of the use of the potential users, uh, how the violence uh, affects on people and what what kind of process is the recovery process from violent experiences, aiming to understand uh, what are the practical needs, what kind of tools could help uh, women in such situations, and also explore explore the uh, privacy and safety issues uh, that are really coherent in these situations. When I started the project, the idea was to use participatory methods like work very uh, in close cooperation with people who have knowledge of the situation like Neist and Linia employees and and volunteers uh, who volunteer and work with Nosten Linia in in answering the telephones and and online messages that the clients of Nosten Linia sent them about the, the situations they're living it and um, One thing when designing for women experiencing intimate partner violence is that it's difficult to approach the actual users because of the sensitive situations uh, they are living in. So I had to rely on kind of second-hand knowledge of volunteers who some of them had experienced violence and survived uh, from the situation um, or reading the stories of people who were probably on their on their recovery, writing blog posts, blog posts, uh, writing writing blog posts, and and such material. And my initial approach, uh, I couldn't do it in such way, and that's one thing to consider. Uh, that was kind of one finding of uh, in my research to consider when working in in this subject that it's very difficult to reach the actual users and and you have to find the secondary ways to understand the
2: situation. Well, I can can tell a bit about my my work and how it connects. Well, in my case, uh, my research started with the observation that nowadays there is a, a lot of technologies that are tracking information, data about our behaviors. We might log in a website and what the places that we visit... What we purchase, what we do it's going to be tracked and it's going to be collected mm-hmm. and our digital actions I will be are one part of the amount of things that are increasingly being observed and monitored so I would say that nowadays we are already we can observe that there are some 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 efforts to track physiological data
0: mm-hmm.
2: how we feel with our body what we I don't know, the food that we consume, how much do we exercise? So this is getting into into an arena that is becoming much more personal and intimate. Mm-hmm. And starting from this, I, I wondered how it's going to, to look when all these efforts for monitoring data and physiological data came into the field of learning. Mm-hmm. Because this, in a way, it's already there. I mean, uh, formal education institutions are already tracking uh, part of a students' uh, behaviors. You might look at if people are graduating on time, if they are completing their assignments, uh, what resources are they using. So in a way, it's already there. And it's getting, Or well, my hypothesis is that in the near future, this is going to, to get into one step further. So what I wanted with this research was to explore how all these monitoring technologies? Uh, what do they bring? I mean, what can we observe from a learning situation that is meaningful to to collect data about? Mm-hmm. And how can how can we design a situation that is truly beneficial for the ones who are being observed and monitored? In this case, the learners, the students. Mm-hmm. So I would say that uh, Laura and we uh, and me we share the. Uh, the interest in monitoring something that could be very intimate. Mm -hmm. Like in in your case, Laura, it's the emotions or how you are feeling. And in my case, I was getting narrow to to monitor um, mental states. Mm -hmm. As part of the research, I developed a prototype that was monitoring attention and relaxation Mm -hmm. while studying. So in a way, your mental state when doing cognitive work it's something that is quite intimate. If you are distracted, if you are dispersed, or if you are very focused, mm. it might bring benefits, but it has it has many challenges. And I will say that it's quite an extreme case of monitoring. Uh, and here, what I wanted was to to have uh, to pro- first to provide an experience to people so they could see what what this means and how the future will look like when you get all these tools and get conversations that could be more reflective, and also to get a debate in the academic community. Because many times, I have the impression that many times emerging technologies are taken for granted, that are positive, that they are going to improve a situation. And, and they have the potential. It might be like that. But they always change what we have, and they have backside effects, things that are, in many cases, very difficult to foresee. So here, what I wanted with my research was to provide something that could foster conversations, critical conversations, and to provide design principles, guidelines about what uh, uses and applications could be more meaningful in a learning context.
1: Yeah. When you were talking about, uh, about this uh, situation that uh, whether the um, new technologies are um, beneficial, That kind of links uh, back to my work, where the the initial question was that um, I didn't uh, mention but the brief I got um, from uh, from the client uh, was to design a mobile application that somehow uh, tracks the emotions uh, of the person who is under abuse or threat, um, either physical or emotional and uh, and and then because uh, it was an application for mobile phone there is these issues of uh, privacy and and also issues of safety so i think whole of, whole of my thesis was wondering if it's if it's beneficial to, is it really useful to have this kind of mobile application or is the downsides downsides worse like is the security or safety uh, threats like, a reason not to make such an application.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think that in my case, the dilemmas I was struggling is that, well, I would say that when looking at all these tools that are monitoring behavior and states, you might identify two main approaches. One will be to try to modify behavior. And in many cases, this modification of behavior is trying to uh, to support uh, ways of doing that are more beneficial. So let's say that in, this ca- in the case of abuse, you might say that, uh, well, it could be beneficial in some cases to uh, cut the relationship. However, I will see the, that in practice, in people's reality, uh, changing behavior, it doesn't, it's not a process that works that straightforward. Mm-hmm. Even if a person is in a very toxic relationship, you cannot just say uh, you have to change it. Or we are going to support you to change this because it's part of a process. You need to you need to go through a set of stages that, in, in the case of uh, in the context that I was studying, it was awareness of, for instance, the the case that I was focusing was uh, supporting people's skills for developing autonomous learning in independent study situations.
1: Can you uh, define autonomous learning for me? I'm, yeah, I'm not certain.
2: That's a good, it means means that uh, you are able to take the decisions to successfully achieve your goals. So in the case of learning will mean that you know what you are going to do, you know how to manage your time, you know that if you get stuck with something, you are able to identify what is the problem and to ask for help about it. Technologies that focus on behavior change, in my view, sometimes uh, do not uh, offer enough opportunities for the person to be aware of all this process. So,
0: yeah, one of, one of hmm. the very interesting things for me reading uh, Lauda's thesis was that um, to understand that what you were working with was to understand to to fully grasp what a process of recovery is and how that process is not linear and. And how the learning happens in that process is a personal um, endeavor. Like you, like each person and does it individually, and and does it in a very particular circumstances. And the process, th- different people have uh, in recording from abuse in this case, uh, can can take many different turns. And and like you said, there's people that don't even know are in this process. They, they don't even know that they are being abused or that don't understand. What are the conditions in which you would um, you could start changing this cycle of abuse? So for me, uh, the, the the overlap between the, the two works you were probably doing in very different uh, contexts um, is uh, how media design is approaching research and research for development of tools as a way to understand learning in a richer and more layered way that is more humane. But on the other hand, what we have is an industry that is calling for this technology, you know, like having a demand for technology because people have these expectations that technology is going to change their lives or is already changing them in many different ways. So it was very interesting for me to go through the thesis and understand these different moments of the process of recovery and how media is trying to anticipate how to give support in each of them and how you could describe the learning process happening there, you know, in which terms do you say there's learning. So I think a concept that was um, key was this the idea that empowerment is not just the, um, the goal of, of uh, this recovery process. But it's actually part of the process. Is what gets the process going slowly. The same way that you cannot become an autonomous learner, you have to start somewhere. Until you you really achieve this ability of uh, motivating yourself or making good decisions that are effective and whatnot. Um, so, um, tracking a little bit back into uh, into this because. The conversation is very wide in all the different um, problems that we humans have that where technology could step in to give tools. I would like to focus a little bit now on the uh, questions that are raised by by uh, Laura's thesis uh, designing for women experiencing intimate partner violence. Mm, the first thing that come to come, came to mind. When I began reading your thesis, that I didn't know that uh, Finland's situation with uh, um, domestic abuse was so high compared to the rest of Europe. Like when you give these figures, that intimate uh, partner violence is considered a public health problem worldwide, where uh, around forty percent of women that are murdered are murdered by their partners. That's a huge, where, where, where there's no war or other reasons. But it's true that in the case of Finland, the expectation will be
2: that there shouldn't be that much Well, overall, violence. In, in, so, in
0: Europe, your, your, the numbers you gave in, in your thesis were that um, of women that have had a partner, 30, uh, 20% of those women in Europe have suffered abuse. But in Finland, is 30% compared to the average in right. Europe which is significantly high. There are like this,
1: uh, I don't remember, this is a um, study made by European Union. Um, I don't remember the years or anything like that, but it was this kind of, uh, that they were um, researching by going to meet the people, uh, kind of quantitative and qualitative, but not just a survey or not just statistics from from a police. But there is also, um, I'm not trying to explain the, high Finnish rate, but there might be also kind of um, what is considered as a domestic violence because it's a cultural and uh, societal uh, phenomena and uh, in some cases it has changed already in Finland uh, during let's say 50 years. What was considered violence 50 years ago or like there might be different reasons why it is, but it also might be that there
0: just is more in Finland and yeah, but I wanted to contrast this, um, this uh, that Finland was the first country to ever give women the right to vote in 1906. And only penalized intimate partner violence in 2004. Yeah, it took 100 years. <laughs> it took 100 years. So, so public, you know, like uh, public r- political rights were easy but it seems like in finland what what's private stays private you know there's this code of silence about the private sphere how you see and how violence is
1: described or what it is yeah in in certain culture it
0: it fluctuates it's not there is no like this um yeah, it, it changes. And then you, your definition that, the that you give in your thesis is partner abuse violates the integrity of victims in the place that should be saved by a person that should be trusted. Uh, this um, intimate partner violence is defined like that, which is... So, it, like, it, it starts giving a sense of, OK, what is the problem, really? Because, of, of course, in... In the atmosphere, we have lots of discussions about abuse and harassment, and there's the Me Too movement, and there's, well, there's been a lot of discussion uh, about all kinds of ways in which women and, and other groups, or other minority groups, or disempowered groups, are victims and are easy victims because of the structure of how society works. Um, but then there's this uh, kind of like the, this trap where women are, where society is supporting um, their dependency or is, is um, accommodating or tolerates these situations of dependence from their male partners. And then the abuse happens, and the more abused they are, the more dependent they become. So this kind yeah, of like that's a, one
1: part of the circle yeah. that comes.
0: Uh, and then society is not helping at all. You know, like these cultural rules of... Uh, you know, that that the shame that is connected to admitting the abuse. Yeah. I hope it will change. I think there are kind of seeds of change happening yeah. all the time. For yeah. example,
1: I think the... The public discussion uh, has uh, yeah. right, like really grown in, uh, yeah. towards this topic lately. With like even after I finished my thesis, mm. or like when I was uh, writing it, or maybe I'm just also like really picking up whatever discussion there is. But I think I mean, me, me long, too, yeah. is affecting on this too because this is kind of part of this uh, yeah. me too movement. Uh, um, even though Me Too is more on the public space and more on the um, maybe workplace related or Mm -hmm. like harassment and sexual abuse and not that much on domestic violence. But I think this this kind of evolves and carries to that direction too.
2: I think that uh, something that is interesting here is like, well, in a way we are talking about changing the behavior of, could be an individual, but also in this case a society. And in a way, I think that you need to go through the same stages. You need a certain level of awareness that this is a problem. And this is a problem that it's not happening in the private sphere in this case, but it's affecting a whole set of cultural norms or things that are more like tacit in the culture. But also I will say that, and, and maybe these uh, different things like the Me Too and many other, uh, like the appearance of news in the media, are helping with this uh, awareness of, hey, this is here. Mm-hmm. But also there needs to be a reflection process. And here I will say that, well, in our cases we are focusing more on the, on the individual level. But I think it will be really interesting to think about how to support group reflection of a society of a bigger group. Because if we want to change our, our values or behaviors of a society, uh, we really need to engage in a deeper and critical yeah. reflection. Yeah. And it's I think that, that the, um,
0: Laura's project was very interesting, the way you were thinking of all this uh, connected inside the, the design of the application. Uh, the fact that, that this, there was this step of um, uh, understanding, recognizing, and naming experiences. You know, like on one end is like there's the importance of acknowledging feelings, but you several times in your in your uh, work you mentioned that that you know just uh, not dwelling on on feelings is very important. Not not being trapped in the emotions because that can just increase anxiety instead of helping people in the recovery process. But how this recognizing and naming has to do with getting appropriate information about what constitutes abuse and what are your resources to get out? So in a way, if I was thinking of the situation of the person that is uh, under abuse or in the process of recovery um, in, and it's still in an uh, abusive relationship, how can you unlock that trap when this person is not able even to speak or to reach out and that the app would be able to go into that intimate space of you know, just a personal awareness and start giving information as to understand a more societal perspective of what is the situation she's in you know this is not a good situation and you're not um, guilty for it it's, this is not your fault and these are your resources or this these are the things you should be planning for your safety and the safety of your children for instance that they are giving tools without telling you already like yeah you need to end this relationship they're not that the 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 it's not jumping to conclusions or that you need to join a group already because somebody may not feel ready to do that yet. I think so, overall when um, when designing tools for processes,
1: uh, learning or, yeah. or, or recovery, the challenge is that people can be in very different stages. And if you need to reach o- all of them, like, yeah. for example, to, to use help in um, or this kind of um, – Uh, tools in learning there needs to be awareness of uh, of 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 this learning reflect uh, self-reflection but also awareness of the tool like it's also like whether you have an access to something or not and And that was also in in such a mobile application you need to find it somewhere there needs to be this the the first level of awareness is that you might be the target audience that it, it there might be something that could be beneficial for you and then you need to somehow end up finding
0: it. Yeah. And once mm-hmm. you find it, you have to make sure that you're safe using mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is like the second like level of complexity. Does your partner know more about technology than you do? Can you, Can he, you know... Yeah. And for example i i had a discussions with the volunteers who are answering
1: the phones and and kind of from the perspective of recovery and the process and and they said that the callers can be in very different stages like somebody's like really like really in their first step of asking like am i crazy is this what's happening with me is it my fault and somebody's already like planned and maybe asking some uh, financial um uh, uh, advice is like um how how I can survive without the uh, financing that I get from my um, yeah. uh, abusive partner so yeah. so to reach all these needs it was a challenge and it it might be that there is no one application that
0: can yeah. do i think the benchmarking that that you did comparing what different apps were providing women that were in this uh, recovery process or abuse uh, situation. It was very interesting how, I mean, of course, things that can be ve- developed for many different reasons and, and purposes, and more, some are more commercial and others are more, like, targeted to, like, self-awareness. But I think that the tools that you chose to focus on um, were really uh, very um like the selection was very good, I think, because it was providing if, if you needed to, to prepare for, for a situation, you were given options to, to start thinking of how to prepare. If you wanted to focus on your feelings, you, were, you could just go in that level. Uh, if you needed information or, or reaching out to organizations that can help you, that was also possible. Um, it seemed like very organic and very respectful of the process that each person is having. Uh, and, and I would say that the, like, like the, the moment of change or, or or of behavior or of situation, it was just like an option at the end, but not, it was not pushed from the beginning. Like this is going to make you, your life change. Uh, but in the sense that it's more like it's, I I don't know if I got it right, but that it's more like where the the app is going to accompany you in the process of understanding what your situation is and what your Options are.
1: Yeah, I think it would be too much for an application to try to yeah. somehow state that yeah. I can change your life. I know some applications are doing that, yeah. and they are promising change people's lives. Whatever notepad, what, what kind of whatever kind of mm. organizing applications they are, but they are like for mm. different situations that uh, the mm. the change the awareness and the goal is aligned with the application. But in this, you're kind of on the gray area. And I think the users, the potential users, might be also in a gray area that they don't necessarily yeah. know what they want. They don't know what they need. Maybe yeah. they have just the feeling that everything is not good. Everything is not right. And this is maybe something that I can relate to, like their own, their own situation. Yeah. So it was chose to be subtle. And everything I had, like, in my... Um, My proposal or concept is um, maybe the diary, uh, like um, following the emotions or what has happened and and different situations was something that I didn't find in this context. But it's something that is proposed commonly to, Mm -hmm. to keep track because those tracks could be like diary notes could even be used as an evidence in in case of uh of uh, if there is a law kind of lawsuits or something like Mm -hmm. that
2: well something that uh, i think that is good to uh, alisa that i was like reflecting quite a lot during the the process and i don't know if you, you engage in the same kind of thoughts, but uh, many of these tools talk about data as if it was uh, raw material, objectives, and the representation of what is really happening. And even if it's talking about something that could be qualitative, like your perceptions out of something or something that could be more like quantitative, Mm -hmm. like a percentage about your level of uh, attention. Well, I think that all this uh, is good to take in mind that uh, this data is constructed, So there are different layers and there is a lot of interpretation. So many times what we call data has been interpreted quite a lot by us or by a machine. Mm -hmm. So in a way, I will say that contextualizing, putting things into the proper frame, Considering that sometimes, uh, for instance, uh, what we what you judge or, or your perceptions about something might be biased by what is your last memory or the strongest emotion that you had during uh, that period. All this is introducing a lot of bias,
1: or what emotions you have at the moment when you're looking, yeah. whatever data you have. Yeah, like even that is like fussing the, the. Yeah, you can perception. overwhelm yourself
0: with your own data.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was part of, for example, in m- in my case, that the emotions were the starting points, but they kind of fade away. There is two reasons, and one was it that it was uh, kind of advised uh, from uh, from almost everybody that. That's this de- dwelling of emotions without a proper guide. You need someone to reflect those emotions like a therapist or, or a super group or something. Uh, there is good to dwell into emotions because there is somebody who, is, who can yeah. stop you if you're going too deep and kind of uh, rationalize the situation, which is not maybe possible when working alone with difficult emotions. And and another one was that it was very difficult to find research that I could uh, I, I, I couldn't do that much of research myself like like really mm, have this kind of testing build an application and, and evaluate its effect on, on with some any kind of group. So I kind of tried to find um, any kind of uh, research that someone else had done on anything related to this subject. And there is a very little I, I found one. That was, uh, I could say that it was scientifically proved that this kind of uh, safety uh, planning tool was effective, and it was, it was the only research that I could find about the tool, that what is working, and yeah. this goes with, I think most of the applications related to well-being and.
0: Yeah, there's a boom of development, but how much of these things have been really tested and and. What, what is the, how can, how reliable are they really? Yeah,
1: but it's also so fresh technology that yeah. I think there are research going on, like yeah. all the time, everywhere. People are researching it now, but, yeah. uh, and probably after uh, what research I did, there must have been like new publications and new information and new knowledge on the subject.
2: Yeah, there is a lot of development in that area, but I think that uh, a critical aspect is that sometimes it's not that transparent how these designs are made and how the inferences on the data are made. And I think this is something that is coming and people are starting to, to question that. But for instance, in the case of learning, I was finding that this was a bit perverse because there is data, let's say attention, that is monitored about you and based on this there are going to be like inferences and there are going to, to be consequences you're going to be evaluated you're going to your study record is going to be go in a specific way or another your teacher is going to suggest you to do something mm-hmm. so it's uh, it's data that is constructed is presented as, as objective and has an impact on the future actions that and yeah. sometimes the individual who is providing the the data it's quite powerless
0: yeah, yeah. The same, the same instrument that is done, uh, that is provided for learning, is used for surveillance in a way.
2: These all these technologies are yeah. surveillance technologies. We might change the name, but at the end, we are surveilling.
0: Yeah, that that was the, the, one of the sensitive topics. Also, like the management of the data and how how the data is gonna be dealt with, or how can you protect it, that data?
1: And what what data you can even get? Is it stored on the phone, or can it be stored somewhere, like yeah. on the cloud? Because when it's on the phone, it's slightly more safer place, unless the phone is stolen or somehow broken into.
2: Yeah. And to some extent, I guess that you were also approaching that, because in a way, the data that we collect about ourselves has an impact on our identity. So how we see ourselves, how... Yeah how how efficient I am with my learning, how, uh, how much do I procrastinate. All these questions, all these issues create an image about myself. And at least in my case, when I was doing the user tests and I was uh, having discussions after that and confronting the data with the people so they could comment, uh, some of the people were like changing their self images because of what the, because of the feedback that the technology was providing mm-hmm. which in, in in a way it's amazing i mean yeah because it's not something that is really objective but people are taking it and i would say as a society we're taking this data as objective so at the moment that you change your perception out of yourself because of what the technology is saying well i, I think that we we really deserve uh, like a analysis of yeah. how this technology is built and how the yeah. data that it's analyzing, it's uh, selected and interpreted. Yeah, because the
0: data is not neutral the way it, the way you design how to collect that data and organize it. That's not politically neutral. Not at all. There are intentions attached to the, the algorithms that are used to organize that data and, and, and to classify it and to classify you as a subject and then there's the problem that you, that your article uh, also um, put on the light that that people are approaching a lot of these technologies uh, in a competitive way with this you know, maybe dragged into these technologies in the use of these technologies because of gamification uh, because it's fun to measure yourself but at the same time that in instead of using them to have more awareness of themselves and thinking of how they live or how they approach their profession or their career, that they are just using it as as an input to compete with others. Yeah. Like, who are you competing with?
2: In a way, I think that as a society, and I think that this goes beyond learning, but uh, we are in a very competitive environment. And if because any reasons you don't manage to meet the standards that are asked about you, about your personal, professional life, then the, the trend is to blame the individual. And all these technologies seem to, to act, in some cases, as a, as a fix to the individual problems, when sometimes it's social problems. Yeah. I don't know, what, Laura, what do you think about that? Because I think that in a way of social or uh, intimate partner violence, also, could be understood as a as a failure of the person who is experienced that situation, and that's why they don't want to share, or it's so difficult to get throughout. Yeah, I think the um,
1: sorry, I'm missing English word. Uh, the interpretation of of, uh, of a person who is abused is often that it's their fault, they are they are mm-hmm. to blame, and it's. Definitely, they won't see it as a structural or cultural or societal yeah. problem. Like there is no way that because it's so personal, it's so close, and it's between probably between two people. Yeah. But when someone else looks at it, they can see that it's a cultural problem or it's a societal problem, and the solutions uh, aren't individual. Pro- like, and there is no if somebody who is abused uh, manages, for example, to leave the the relationship then there is kind of one abuser loose that can find a next victim. So, because, like, concentrate only to a person who is surviving is, like, really not, like, solving any problems. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, the the actual, the the beginning, the initial start of the problem is still out there doing whatever...
0: He or she feels like. Yeah, until they do something bad enough that the case is put to light and people say, okay, and there's a history of abuse here, and this, you yeah. know, and then <laughs> it
1: starts their learning
0: process yeah.
1: or their uh, yeah. punishing
0: process the posi- or whatever. Yeah, there yeah. is it, yeah. but but it's also
1: like I, I it was my choice not to go into that direction i was totally concentrating on on women as victim, uh, victims of abuse so i didn't go into understanding why it happens so or what are the reasons of the perpetrators perpetrators to to abuse and it's often it it can be also that it's uh, mutual it happens uh, yeah. simultaneously yeah. to towards either part uh, either like to the both parties so but yeah, you
0: uh, even say that research indicates that there are no safe type of relationships that every, anyone can or could be the victim.
1: Yeah. Like I, I don't know what yeah. it, the safe type could be like it because yeah. there is like it happens in all socio-economical um, levels or yeah. uh, it doesn't and then there's
0: all these in- intersectional problems you know race how how race or authority in a field you know, like that, it's not just men to women, but it's whoever has power, how mm. they exercise that power starts producing cases of or situations of harassment or abuse.
1: Yeah. One thing I probably read from it might have been World Health Organization publication, but it might be something else. Uh, so, um, but I remember reading one part that said that the most beneficial finding. On, on what could be helping the situation is to educate, is education. Mm-hmm. It's to educate, uh, educate young people, especially
0: mm-hmm. uh, male. Especially, yeah. yeah, not just female to protect themselves, but male to, uh, for instance, all this emphasis on on uh, consent. Yeah. That was never mentioned before the 80s even. Yeah, so...
2: but. For me, for me personally, I, I have maybe a, I will be careful with the word uh, educate because in, in a way there is a, a power relation in education. There is someone who is defining what is correct and then is telling the others to reproduce that uh, behavior. So I mean that's a minor thing, but I will say that the ideal situation will be that everyone is aware and takes responsibility of the type of relations that we want to have with others. And that's why in my case or in learning, I was like putting the emphasis on on autonomous, on, on supporting people becoming autonomous. Because that involves that you are like actually thinking about the... You're not doing the things because you know that someone is after you or that because that is the thing that you are supposed to do, but because you believe that that's something that you want to do to achieve a goal yeah. that is positive.
0: I think this takes us back to Laura's uh, work in, in the sense that... Uh, there's this, this process, like, for instance, if, if a woman that has two children needs to leave the, the, the husband and is completely dependent or needs to, like, even move away from the city where they are, the, the town they are living in because the, this abuser is going to keep on uh, um, um, yeah, um, chasing her around. Uh, the goal of ending that relationship is, like, unthinkable it's It means dismounting an entire life, and there's no way to start I think that it's interesting that that the, the app was trying to to give the the user a ways to make a way to make sense of things slowly and you know through steps, even if the steps are not pretty fine like in a in a linear way um there was this kind
1: of i think it was the empowerment theory that I was reading that there is need. To, uh, of different things like skills or like i could call them resources different kind of resources mm-hmm. that one is awareness or or learning new things or finding new ways and and those build up during the uh, to, during the process yeah. and 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 it kind of it's I think it's unnoticed like yeah. but if, if they if, if the person can reach somewhere find information somewhere at some point there might be enough of these skills and resources that helps her, her to leave the situations or, or solve it some other way mm. but uh, I was especially asking this from the people I interviewed that what is the reason that people usually, uh, what happens that makes them uh, make the change? What is the thing? And it was actually quite sad that most often it is when they are afraid of losing their lives, mm. they're afraid of their kids losing their lives or they're losing their health or mental health or something. Mm. It's something that it seems that that this slide that people in that situation go down Really needs to hit the rock bottom that mm. it kind of uh, I don't know I don't know how to call it uh, mm. w- what happens then realizes and some kind of a something that uh, and it has to be there like no one can force it no one else can do it and sometimes it can be also positive
2: mm.
1: that something nice happens that awakens the dreams kind of that maybe going somewhere, seeing an apartment where you could live with just your kids and not without, and not with the abusive uh, person. And then this dream starts to build up. This is from uh, an example from one interview, that this little thing she said that was something that awakened the dream for herself, for a better life. And she stayed in the relationship for a couple of years after that or something like that because it was so difficult. But she said that this dream was something that was driving her forward.
2: Um, it's interesting because at the beginning I was also doing some interviews to understand how people, uh, w- what is the process that makes people make a change. In, in that case, it was regarding their learning habit, uh, study habits and in relation to w- their well-being. And some of the, yeah, the cases in which they had really make a drastic change, they were also hitting the bottom. They were facing heavy depressions, like situations of uh, health issues. So there was like really alarms of this is not going well. Mm-hmm. So, in a way I would say that's yeah, one one path that people kind of that can the people who make a, a change take. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, on a much milder level, uh, when I was doing the user tests, I realized that there were like small things that uh, were like encouraging people's self-esteem. That they were fostering it. For instance, I remember the what was? Let me think. But there was one case in which a person was uh, actually very happy about the, the meditation thing mm-hmm. because she she felt that now she had a, a new resource to control her procrastination or when she was very yeah. distracted. And it's not that I think that that's kind of the solution to make, yeah. but at least for her, she was really stuck with that, that ah, I procrastinate and then the whole afternoon is lost. But then she was like, well, now I know a tip or something that I can do. And yeah. like this might yeah. be many other things.
0: So, yeah, at some point, you, you mentioned in your article that this transformative process is maybe a cycle between action and reflection, like an action and then looking at the action and thinking again and acting again and, you know, like... um that people do learn from their their doing yeah and from looking at their actions
2: yeah and i would say that when when you get things that work that, yeah. that in the direction that you want this is really powerful or at least of course i was yeah. not facing any critical situation but i could see that uh, it was like a boost of self confidence in, in people uh, who are experienced that uh, and i think that that's uh, that's something really interesting and, and really really Beautiful, because in a way, it, it's like telling people that you can do whatever you want if you have the confidence in yourself that yeah. you can achieve it. Yeah. So that, that was something that I would really like to, to understand a bit, a bit better.
0: Yeah. It's funny because we talk about technology now, and it was in the 80s, Foucault was talking about the technologies of the self for a completely different thing. Well, I don't know if you no, are no. familiar with his texts. Uh, I might not be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he was just actually he was not even referring to something he invented. He was referring to to the Greeks and and to Socrates. And and he in these lectures that he gives uh, in in the eighties uh, that's called a series of lectures that were later published as the Technologies of the Self. He analyzes the concept of uh, um, know thyself that everybody's like, familiar with, but he goes back to the Greeks and analyzes how they were using them, that concept. And, and the way uh, it, when you, re- when you read Greek and you go into it, uh, actually there was the, the know yourself, know yourself, was actually just a part of a bigger construction of this idea of uh, look after yourself. You know, care about yourself. That it was the the virtuous way of living in the in the polis. That so that people needed to examine their se- themselves in order to act, and knowledge was part of that process. Uh, so comparing technologies that just give you data <laughs> to this other more organic process that is self awareness and how you what how do you operate uh, connected to action, in a in a way that is really doing you well instead of just collecting points or you know like comparing yourself to others and and that in a way that really empowers you. Yeah. I think that
2: Foucault is still a very relevant <laughs> reference for all these uh, technologies that uh, collect data about people's behaviors. Yeah. And but I will say that uh, besides the, this part of the you no know, connecting with the, with the grids and knowing the self I will say that the part that this uh, he's also like uh, working on the concept of biopolitics yeah. of the body, and yeah. I will say that it's it's very kind of relevant in a way, all this, or at least in, in the field of uh, monitoring physiological data, it's uh, there are some discourses that are like uh, modifying how we, well, these ideas of how we preserve ourselves, but also these ideas of what is the direction that we should aim for is very political. Yeah. For instance, people were, uh, in my case, uh, there was this, the the tool that I was using, it was a helmet that was monitoring uh, electroencephalographic uh, kind of uh, information, and actually, well, it was providing this information about attention and relaxation people were taking for granted that it was the best thing was to be very attentive and that will mean that they were very productive and efficient with uh, when using their time their study time so no at the beginning it took a time until they started to question what it means to be attentive and what is wrong with procrastinating or <laughs> taking your time to do other things? They took for granted that, no, 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 I have to be productive and I have to be very focused to perform yeah. this. Yeah. So in a way, there, there is a lot of politics under uh, these discourses of efficiency and productivity. Yeah. And uh, these technologies, uh, or some of them, are like reproducing that in a very like natural way. So if you are not very attentive... You, you might end in a track that it's not even aligned with what you really want. Yeah. So in a way, you might look at all these technologies as they are like uh, augmenting our abilities. And, yeah. and that's, I mean, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's valid and it's true. When we use a tool, it's because we want to perform, uh, we want to achieve a goal that it's easier to achieve with that tool. Yeah. So in a way, yes, they are extending our, our abilities. But at the same time, the tools, technologies that we use are also acting as a, as a filter of, uh, of reality. It's yeah. like they're, they're in and all this quantified self or like monitoring tools. In a way, they are acting as a, as a mirror. They're providing yeah. a, a reflection of how, is you, how, how you are. Yeah. But in a way, this reflection is not neutral.
0: Yeah.
2: And it's affecting how you, how you see yourself and how you see the world technology sometimes it's making us less present that's uh, that that yeah. relates to one project that we, we are working on well currently with some other colleagues and we are exploring how how digital tools can can support uh, communication and collaboration mm-hmm. and in many cases the you know, there we were benchmarking all these technologies for tracking emotions, uh, physical or physiological states. There, were, there was all this intensive monitoring that we were like considering and benchmarking. And then, when going to the interviews, focus groups, and workshops, people were like, they choose, for them it was critical to know if the other one is actually listening when
0: having a audio-based discussion. So Yeah, well, that takes us back to where we are right now. This sculpture was built by a Chilean artist, Arias Bustamante. Uh, he works with many things, uh, but with audio um, yeah, installations of different things. And I think his idea, his main idea, if I understand it correctly, was that, that people would sit in a quiet space where they would really listen to each other, not so much talk, like, but, like, to really be present and be present with their thoughts and, like, stop the disturbance of the environment, the business, to just, you know, quiet down. And the first place that he installed this uh, sculpture was actually in, in Kampi, one of the busiest spots of Helsinki. And, um, and the archive of those conversations then is released. I mean, in a way, the, the data is secure because they are never released whole, to the environment they're just bits and pieces and you never know who's talking so it's a little bit that's the safety net of, of whatever happens in here problem <laughs> how I will see like when you
2: translate this to other domains is like um, I think that there's the issue about contextualizing the data mm. and that's why when we were meeting to prepare this conversation I was mm. asking and mm. how can I know that the my the things that i say are not going to be decontextualized and yeah. lose the meaning and yeah. that's a conversation in which you can expand your yeah. thoughts and you can have more control of what you are trying to yeah. communicate but when you look at data like your behaviors your physiological states or your thoughts at very specific yeah. moment in time yeah. that's if you decontextualize that you can get something like it's completely in a different direction of well, I will say that identity is really hard to define because it keeps changing. But in this case, you mix like presenting something as if it was like the true representation, yeah. plus data that might have subs- lots of bias. So,
0: yeah, yeah, and there's and 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 the way you're classified or judged based on the data you provide or your features can be very harsh. You know, there are many ways in, of social engineering being being really unfair to people and. I mean, it has it has happened all over history, and you never. I mean, one thing is to say, yeah, we have safety for your data this year, but you don't know what's happening in ten years yeah. with that data. Organizations are very bad at keeping their data at all, or <laughs> let alone keeping it safe.
1: And it costs money to yeah, upkeep course, yeah. this and keep yeah. it secure. Yeah. And so there needs to be like uh, when developing this kind of uh, uh, applications. I think it goes to the big parties because they have the money to develop it and to upkeep it and to have the bandwidth or whatever is needed, the storing space. But uh, this kind of applications that I was working with aren't interesting for for big companies so who would do these kind of things would be small associations or some kind of groups mm-hmm. of associations with very limited resources that are usually project based yeah. so if you have a uh, funding for uh, like developing and implementing certain kind of application, you still need the funding to keep it going and to develop it further and and do some research and evaluate it and to keep it, uh, to have it effective. Uh, So so I think there is this kind of uh, power play also of who is getting the data because at least for now it needs resources yeah. to collect but it. Hopefully the it.
0: public discussion that is going on worldwide about uh, harassment and, and abuse in general is pushing the topic up into the you know the, into the public policy discussions on everywhere like people have to pay more attention to what's happening and how to how to take you know yeah. action
1: on it yeah and for example stalkers are taking considered of for example in Facebook they have done some cooperation yeah. with nice and in Finland and mm-hmm. probably with some other parties in some other countries so so the issue is at least acknowledged there is some kind of a knowledge yeah. that it, it happened and some possibilities you can block someone with Facebook but it usually just doesn't help because you maybe have common common friends, and yeah. it's still possible to uh, publish something humiliating material or b- yeah. images or videos, even if you're not in straight connection. So, so web can be used. It's, it's a weapon in these kind of yeah. situations. Yeah. And it's quite often not considered off when thinking about security. Yeah. Uh, the security is uh, in, in web environment is usually something anonymous that tries to grab your uh, your information and do something with it. Maybe, maybe steal identity or uh, steal information that can be somehow monetized. Uh, but in this situation, it's next to you. The, the person who is trying to reach your data or, or manipulate it or, or share it somehow, it, it, it's a different kind of uh, security uh, ah,
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. I think that in your case, well, it's quite an extreme case, but from there, it's it's really interesting because there might be many things that can be can be translated or used to other type of designs that are using that are monitoring personal information. So, in a way, the for instance, the security aspects that you needed to take into consideration were much more than in, in my case. So, but I'm thinking that since you were in a quite a extreme situation of use, that the, the implications and the, the things that you propose in your, in your work, I think that they could really be really beneficial for other type of designs that are working with different applications based on yeah. personal data. Yeah, I think the issue of trust and who is providing these
1: services is, uh, is the question of, of this kind of applications or data collecting devices and services. And this was also an issue that needed to um, link with my project like um, the data storing and and safety of all, all these things uh, is one issue, but also like uh, is the party trustworthy and who is the partner that you work with mm-hmm. and and for example, this kind of issue of uh, of domestic violence can be anywhere so is the, like of course the data would be somehow uh, for encrypted so that it can't be opened by just anybody. But still, who knows who ends up working with the data? Yeah.
0: Going a little bit back to the, this idea of why do we do the things we do, of all the topics that you could approach to in your discipline in, in media design, all the tools that you could play around with, the options you have, you decided to choose these kinds of issues and tools. Why are you interested in this? You're bringing into the technology development and research and development um, a lot of philosophical issues and critical issues, political issues that I don't hear a lot in this alto environment. That I kind like miss from social sciences. Like you're bringing social sciences through the back door a little bit <laughs> and psychology. Like I feel you're making it present and they seem such tough topics for somebody that was just like maybe meant to be doing cool, colorful designs or like, you know, like impressive apps.
1: It was a tough subject. It was tougher than I thought, maybe in a different way than I thought that it would be, but it was really it was a difficult subject. And why I chose it, there was partly coincidence, but of course I was doing towards uh, this type of uh, subject. Not necessarily working with intimate partner violence, but working with some kind of uh, social issues or mental health, health, well-being. Um, at that point, I was very interested in working working uh, with uh, such a an subject. And when I got the possibility to work in cooperation with Neistenlinja, I was happy to grasp it and why is the more difficult question like why why is it maybe something that there's some kind of a personal relationship that i'm interested on the on the subject of uh surviving <laughs> i don't yeah. know difficult subjects but why it, it i i i can uh wonder about it a bit and maybe i come up with an uh, answer but it's very difficult i'm interested in but why that's Difficult.
2: Yeah, I will just make a clarification. I think that in in a way, like for at least my experience, is that the people in that I have met that are working in the at least in the media lab and design department, I think that maybe we don't see our roles as making the colorful designs, (laughs) even though if from the outside it might at some point might give that impression. So I would say that in a way, that's something that, at least like with many people who are like developing design processes. And that they have this initial research, that's something that everyone is facing, this dealing with complexity and social aspects. Mm. Maybe, what, uh, maybe what it's like we are facing is like the true challenge of becoming transdisciplinar, mm. reaching the different uh, disciplines and areas of knowledge and learning how to communicate with uh, different people that you need uh, input and feedback yeah. and, and help during the process. Yeah. For me, that was really challenging so as a and I think that well I think that in some ways this is recognized I'm hoping that in the in the in the near future this will be something that not only here but in the all institutions will realize that mm-hmm. they need to
0: support that because it's it's really hard work and, yeah, and very, a lot of the press you get as a discipline has to do with with the technology just as technology not not it's not about the discussions that are happening behind that development, yeah. or or the struggles you're going through to to get things working, uh, really to support well-being or other things like that. Like, like you get the, the slogan that we're working for well-being, but it's all very positive, and I mean at least in the, yeah. uh, you know, advertisement of the discipline. But what I'm interested in is how, how you are really going into multidisciplinary and cross-disciplinary discussions that are not easy at all.
2: Yeah. Well, personally, it was like a... Getting to, I fully understood what does it mean to get out of the comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> and I had many discussions in which now I think I got already used to that. But at the beginning, it was really uncomfortable to go and meet a professor or someone who has a lot of knowledge in neurosciences or psychology or technology or whatever. And you go there... With your assumptions that yeah. <laughs> you are thinking, I hope that this person understands that I'm kind of missing many things, and yeah. that I mean, I must say that the experiences were good, but it's like it takes a bit of um, effort to to really move out of the, your area of knowledge. And why, in the case that what you were asking before, why I decided to focus on this particular aspect? Well, I might say that maybe the connection is that. Personally, I feel, I'm, feel bothered or there is like a strong <laughs> feeling or emotion of I, I really don't like uh, power relations. I think that uh, one thing is uh, to discuss about authority and different level of expertise and respect that might arise because of that. But I think that in, in society, like any society, there are many situations in which there are power relations that are based on difference in lo- knowledge. Yeah. on difference in skills on resources and i think that i think that education and learning are a, can be a very powerful tool to bypass these power relations and mm-hmm. build more like equalitarian, equity based societies yeah. so i'm i'm taking it from the point of learning and maybe education but i'm putting more the emphasis on learning because i think it's it's a way to to lead to more fair societies yeah at the individual level and also at group level. Oh. Well put answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I,
1: I was thinking similar things, but I just couldn't get it out of myself. <laughs> you have really reflected on, on your kind of motivations
0: after five years. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> Uh, what keeps on being elusive or despite findings, despite, you know, the developments and, and what are things that are, keep on being puzzling to you after going, like, through your master's process, thesis process and then you're just going to present your doctoral thesis? 2nd of November. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. okay. So it's... We're just warming up here. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what keeps on being something that you cannot, kind can like put on the table that you would want to work with or that you feel it needs attention?
1: I, I have to say that I'm still a bit recovering from this uh, yeah. this thesis process. I I wasn't like, when, when you first asked me to come here, I said yeah. that I won't. <laughs> But you were very persistent, like yeah. really, I admire. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm happy that I came. It was yeah. like really good. Thank you for being persistent. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, starting now to look for what it is. I I mean, like, I'm working now as a consultant uh, on a public sector th- though, but uh, as a just like just a designer, one of the many and um, struggling with the meaning and purpose of my my skills and and what I, what I actually want to do, and is that satisfying, and for how long, and am I doing just for money, or what it is. So I'm kind of, I have always had some goal, some purpose, something that I reach for, and, and I'm in a strange situation that at the moment I don't have. So I'm kind of in a point of of available for possibilities, yeah. and I'm kind of trusting that something will come up, and I need, I'm, I'm in the you know, these situations that you need to get inspired is to be bored. So I'm kind of, I'm reaching that boredom. I actually want to be somehow. I want to empty mm-hmm. the space and see what comes there and where I could put uh, put my mind into. And uh, if I, like this application I was designing, uh, it, it's, it never was implemented. It will never probably happen. Uh, I think you two are the one of the rare people who will ever read it. So, so I don't know what my impact is, but I still think that it's part of the discussion. I took part of this discussion. I I put a little thing uh, towards uh, the uh, that there is knowledge about it, that there is this kind of uh, approaches existing. I don't know. It it might be that it will lead somewhere. Someone somewhere
2: would read it and benefit from it that I might never know about. Yeah. Um, For me, it was inspiring. To, to read your to follow your process read your work and design implications so at least you make an impact on me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and in my case I might say that for me I also ended doing the defining uh, some design implications at the uh, like the last cha- one of the last chapters of the sections of the thesis and I might say that of course there is when when you produce this type of work well in a way you you have always the the question of that. Who is going to read this? Yeah. <laughs> well, my supervisor, for instance. <laughs> yeah. But I might say that for me, these design implications were also like a, a pass of what are the areas that I want to, to further explore in, in the future. So it wasn't kind of the, the intended, but I, I realized that for me, like the, there were like three topics that I, at least uh, four, that are like critical like one is to to support this reflection i think that the, the ability to reflect and reflect critically is like really important to take control of our own lives so that's something that i would like to to work and understand more then there is all this aspect dealing with i will i i refer to self regulation but you might think that but this connects to autonomy mm-hmm. how to how to support people who to become more autonomous yeah. And I'm approaching it from learning, but I will say that I'm a bit more ambitious and I would like it to, to be in other different domains of or your life. And also how technology can support this autonomy. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for for joining us. Thank you for joining, inviting yeah. yeah, it's, it's been nice. great talking to you too. And, and I was, I'm was i very happy that we were able to kind of like knit together the, the two levels of discussion, very specific and more general about technology. Yeah. And research.
2: And I'm glad that we repeated the, the, the thing and we came here, that we don't change the, the environment. The for the, mm-hmm. the, it is a special
0: environment. Yeah, taking, yeah.
2: I think yeah. so. Uh, and it's very cozy and uh, how the boys' room sounds and uh, I mean, yeah, I, I really like the, the opportunity to have this conversation here. Yeah, so yeah you're
0: very, it's very welcome to come again some other day and uh, yeah, I mean, if you ever want to have a conversation here, just let me know. Maybe you can start a therapy session. (laughs) This podcast is possible thanks to the support of the Art and Creative Practices Initiative in Alta University. Special thanks to Ariel Bustamante and Alto Studios.